This is our last midweek of the 2015-2016 school year, which is crazy. I think all in all, we've had 25 midweeks this school year from September, like first week of September, all the way until now. It's our last Wednesday together as we've been fasting and praying for one for one for every disciple to make a disciple. It's our last Wednesday night together as we've been studying out one love. Love as God commands. But with all of those lasts with tonight, this is also a midweek where we're going to focus on going into finals and even more going into the summer, putting everything that we've studied into practice from this semester. This is a midweek where we're going to focus on how to grow in our love for God and for each other, even as you guys enter into final exams and even as you go into the summer. So this isn't so much a last midweek as it is a transition to the next step, a transition to the next stage, a transition to the next moment in our walks with God. That's what tonight is all about. So the end of our memory scripture is the three simple words, love never fails. And that's our title for tonight, love never fails. We're going to pray together before we jump in. All right, let's bow our heads. Dear Lord in heaven, God, thank you for this night. Thank you for bringing us to this point, God. It's crazy that we're almost at the end of this semester and this whole school year. But God, it's actually been an amazing, miraculous year as we've seen souls saved, new disciples made, as we've seen uh, the students here who were disciples coming into the year grow in amazing ways, God. And seeing all of us grow in our love for you, grow in our love for each other, get closer together as a family, as the body of Christ. Uh, God, we got to host and send out Campus Swap. Uh, God, we've been able to have amazing Bible talks at both UNH and at Southern. God, we've been able to have brothers and sisters serve in so many amazing ways, whether it's ushering on Sundays or leading songs or doing welcomes. Uh, We got to have a campus service, which was incredible, God. Uh, And it really brought glory to you just as we were able to uh, really come up in front of the church and for them to see, wow, we have college students in this church right here who love you, God, so much. God, I pray tonight as we talk about love never fails, that we'll be able to put into practice everything we've studied this semester as we move into the coming weeks and coming months. And uh, especially, God, that as we go through final exams and, and as we enter into the summer, that we'll leave here tonight with a deep conviction that in everything we do, we need to love you. We need to love our brothers and sisters. We need to grow in that love every day that we walk as disciples. It's in your son, Jesus, then we pray. Amen. Amen. Alright, so we're going to do something cool tonight. In order to understand how love never fails, we're actually going to look at a transformation of one of Jesus' disciples. A disciple who didn't exactly start out with a very loving heart, but someone who later became known as the Apostle of Love. This is a guy who had no clue what it was to love people and to love God in a righteous way but by the end of his time with Jesus, actually was titled by the people around him, the Apostle of Love. We're also going to look at some deep teaching about godly love, what that looks like, and what we can take with us as we go into the summer. So the transformation we're going to look at is of John. 
the Apostle John. And so the first few scriptures, for time's sake, I put on the screen for you guys. So you guys can just follow along as we read these together. Um, Mark 3, verses 13 to 18. Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. He appointed twelve that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. These are the twelve he appointed. Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter. James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, to whom he gave the name Boanerges, which means sons of thunder. Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Okay, so here's one thing that you notice as you read through this list of the 12 apostles, Jesus' first 12 disciples that he called to him. So a couple of them have nicknames, right? So the first one on the list in verse 16 is Simon, who he gave the name Peter. Peter was the word Saphos, which means rock. So what's so cool is Simon Peter, his full name was Simon, son of John. Well, in English, when his name was changed to Peter, the rock, his name was literally the rock Johnson. He was the original rock. It was Simon, son of John, nicknamed Peter, the rock Johnson. I mean, this was the original, the rock was Peter. And then you've got James and John. And look at the nickname Jesus gives them. It's the word Boanerges, which means sons of thunder. I mean, these were epic nicknames. Because Jesus saw something special in these guys. And what he saw, he saw them for who they could become and not always who they were in that moment. It's the same way Jesus sees us. He has a vision for every one of us of who we can become and not just who we are right now. But this nickname that James and John are given, Sons of Thunder, it doesn't exactly communicate love, right? (laughs) And the truth is, at the beginning of John's life as a disciple, he had a lot of zeal. He had a lot of energy, but he didn't have a lot of love. Look at this example in Luke 9. Luke 9, 51 to 56. As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. And he sent messengers on ahead who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. When the disciples James and John saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy them? But Jesus turned and rebuked them. Then he and his disciples went to another village. So Jesus and the disciples, they come across this village of Samaritans who don't welcome him. They want no part of Jesus. They don't want him to even enter into their town, let alone stay there and share his faith and heal people. They just want him to keep on moving. And James and John are ticked off. And so they ask Jesus, do you want us to call fire down on this city and destroy them? I love that they even thought that they had the authority to do that. It's like, I don't know if God would even answer your prayer. You guys are not Jesus. You're his disciples. But our, our first reaction in this situation would probably be, you know, we're with Jesus. They reject us. Our first reaction would probably be, oh, well, that stinks. You know, I guess we'll just keep walking until we get to the next village. James and John are like, oh, no, you do not disrespect us. We'll kill all of you if we need to to make the message clear. And that's actually what they wanted to do. So at this point, John had a lot of zeal. 
And he actually had indignation. Those are righteous qualities. But he had not yet learned love. And what we're going to see from him is he never lost his zeal. He never lost his indignation. But he grew into being a disciple of love. When Jesus was about to die, as he's preparing to go to the cross, look at who he wanted to be with him. In Mark 14, 33, he took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. In Jesus' final hours, when he needed people the most, he wanted John to be there with him. John, who was one of the sons of thunder, John, who wanted to call fire down on this city, who Jesus rebuked. But at the end of their three years together, that's who he wanted to be with him as he prayed, as he prepared to die. John was one of the disciples in closest contact with Jesus. Out of all the disciples Jesus ever had, and even among the 12, there was a special group with John, James, and Peter. They got to be with Jesus more than anyone else. And I think in that three-year span that John was with him, the love that he saw in Jesus transformed him into perhaps the greatest articulator of God's love that we have in the Bible. By the time John wrote his gospel and wrote his letters, he became known as the apostle of love. Check this out. This is pretty incredible. So I'm going to show you guys the use of the word love in the Gospels, the amount of times the word love is used. So this gives you a pretty clear idea. In Matthew, the word love is used 15 times. Mark, it's used about seven times every other chapter or so. In Luke, it's used 14 times. In John's Gospel, he uses the word love 39 times. That's more than the other three Gospels combined. Now, does that mean that the other three didn't know about love? Of course not. But what that means is John was so changed by the love he saw in Jesus that everything he preached, his entire message came back to Jesus' love. God's up 39 times. That's multiple times each chapter. John has 21 chapters. Wow. And he just constantly was writing about Jesus' love, the love he saw, God's love, over and over again. 1 John, which is one of the letters he wrote, uses the word love 27 times, which is more than any other epistle in the New Testament, any other letter written by an apostle. John became the apostle of love. And I think during his time with Jesus, he learned some crucial truths about love. He always had had zeal. John had zeal from the very beginning. When Jesus called him and John, they left their father in the boat with hired men and went and followed Jesus. It used to be Zebedee and Sons Fishing Company, and now it's just Zebedee Fishing Company. The sons are gone. They're following Jesus. He had zeal when Jesus called them and he nicknamed them Boanerges, the Sons of Thunder. He had indignation when he wanted to call fire down on these people that rejected Jesus. But I think what John realized is this. Zeal can get you going, and it can give you energy for a while, but love never fails. Indignation can lead to righteous action. Indignation can lead to a strong sense of justice being done, but love never fails. John learned that. And so what we're going to do right now is we're going to read his convictions. We're going to read, well, what does the apostle of love have to say about love? 
So the rest of our lesson, we're going to be in 1 John. So turn over to chapter 3. We're going to look at the apostle of love, Dr. Love, and what he has to say about God's love. 1 John 3, we'll start in verse 11. All right, chapter 3, verse 11. Okay. Verse 11 says, For this is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in them. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. Okay, we're going to pause there for a second. Focus in on verses 16 to 18, that second paragraph there. This paragraph has some incredibly profound statements about how love never fails. You look at verse 16. First of all, love never fails as Christians because we have a perfect example of love. All right, so the answer to this question should be obvious, but how many of you guys have ever had a math or science class? Just at some point, high school or now, just a math or science class, right? And when you learn a formula, in any math or any science class, when you learn a formula, what is one of the most helpful ways to get you to a point where you really understand the formula? Well, what are some helpful things to really start to understand how a formula works? Using, Using it, okay. But what do you have to have first before you can use a formula? It's different uh, variables. Variables, okay. A, a lesson, yeah, teaching it. But you have to have something to apply it to, right? You have to have something to apply the formula to. So what would you call that, the thing that you just apply the formula to? Don't overthink it. Minor problem. Oh, what? The problem. Yeah, just an example, right? Just a, a problem, an example to apply it to. So who knows what this formula is? Who knows what this is called? Is oh, This is the quadratic yeah. formula. So I've literally, I'm not even going to look back there. I've had this memorized <laughs> since eighth grade, right? Here we go. X, here it is, X equals negative B, plus or minus radical, B squared minus 4AC over 2 times A. I learned in 8th grade, my math teacher taught us a song to memorize this. I was 13, I'm 25 now. For 12 years, I've known this formula by heart. But before, before you can really understand a formula, you have to have examples, right, to apply it to. You have to know, how does this apply? Well, it wouldn't do us much good if Jesus, or I'm sorry, if God rather, over and over again in the Bible just told us to love, right? Love me, love each other, 
without any examples. Right. If he just commanded that, but we never were able to see, well, what does that look like played out? Mm -hmm. Give me an example. Give me a problem where I can see that. It wouldn't really help us. We wouldn't know what to do. Love never fails because we have a perfect example. And Jesus, look at verse 16. This is how we know what love is. That's the beginning of it, right? This is how we know what it is. There's how we do it. All right? This is it. Jesus laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for each other. This is how we know what love is because we have an example. Look at verse 18, another amazing insight into how love never fails. Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. The world only loves with words and speech. The world says, I love you, but there's nothing to back it up. And even what there is to back it up is a poor example of what they're communicating. God says, don't love with words or speech. Don't just give lip service. Words are cheap. Talk is cheap. Love with actions and in truth. Verse 17 shows us how ridiculous empty love is, right? Verse 17 says, If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person, right? It would be ridiculous to tell any one of us in this room, Hey, I love you, bro. I love you, sis. And then when we really need help, you don't do anything? It says, how could the love of God be in you? It just doesn't make sense. Words and speech are cheap. Love with actions and in truth. Love never fails because real godly love proves itself. Real godly love is shown by action and by truth. I was convicted, when was this? A week and a half ago by Larry. I was convicted by his example with this. We had just had a study with Gersh. We're driving back over to UNH. And we're going down the boulevard between Southern and UNH. That's the main way to go between the campuses. And every time you drive down the boulevard, there's homeless people there. Every time. Doesn't matter what time of day or night, there's going to be someone there asking for money. And so we pulled up, and it was a red light. There was, I think, it was, I don't remember if it was a man or a woman this time, but, but Larry's like, oh my gosh. And he starts going through his pockets, and he pulls out all the money he has, and he gives it to them. I was blown away because I can tend to be so judgmental. I can tend to be so skeptical. Yeah, if I give them money, what are they going to do with it? Mm. You know, what if they use it for drugs? What if they use it for beer? But Larry's heart was, there's someone in need. And I, how can I not do something? I, I, I can help them right now, so how could I not? And then Tuesday, when we were driving back, same exact scenario. We're, we're coming back from Southern, going back to UNH. This is yesterday, you know, and uh, we see another person there. And because of Larry's example, I was like, you know what? I have a dollar here. Let me give it to this person. And, and I gave them cash because love never fails. It's not words or speech. It's actions and truth. That's the type of love that God commands. Let's keep reading here, verses 19 to 23. Amen. This is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. That's just a cool phrase right there. This is how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. This is how we can be at peace when we come before God. If our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. 
Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have, we have confidence before God and receive from Him anything we ask because we keep His commands and, and do what pleases Him. And this is His command, to believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as He commanded us. The one who keeps God's commands lives in Him, and He in them. And this is how we know that He lives in us. We know it by the Spirit He gave us. Verse 23, everything... God commands us can be summed up in these two things. Believe in the name of His Son and love one another as God commands. Because if you believe in Jesus, you're going to obey. If you don't obey God, you don't really believe in Jesus. You don't really believe God's serious. You don't really believe that He's God. Because if you don't obey God, what you're saying is, I'm God. And you're just some nice figure that we read about, but I'm God. Because I do what I want. If you truly believe in Jesus, you will obey. Those go hand in hand. You cannot have faith without deeds, right? Yeah. James chapter 2. Faith and love are going to lead to everything else. Love never fails. Look at chapter 4. This making sense so far? Yeah. All right, chapter 4, the apostle of love. He keeps on teaching us. Verse 7. Dear friends, let us love one another. For love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. We'll pause there for a second. Love never fails. If you look at verses 9 and 10, it never fails because love sacrifices. I heard a quote a while back that is so true. You can tell the depth of someone's love for another person by the level of their sacrifice for that person. That's how you can see the depth of someone's love. All right, you say you love that person. How much would you sacrifice for them? That's how you see the depth the sincerity of their love. Well, guys, what did God sacrifice for us? Did he hold anything back? And what's crazy about God's love, verse 9 says it. It says, it's not that we loved God, but it's that he loved us. Oh, I'm sorry, verse 10. He loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. God gave up everything for us knowing full well that we might never love him. Because there's no guarantee. God does not force us to do anything. If he did, that wouldn't be love. Anyways, if you're forced to do something, that's not a relationship. That's not love. That's fear. You're, at that point, you're a robot. You're a puppet. God doesn't do that. He sacrificed everything for you, knowing that you might never love him, knowing that you might never care. You may never change. Because he doesn't, he doesn't know. He gives us every opportunity, but we have to decide. Am I going to love him or am I not? Am I going to obey him or am I not? Will I believe him or will I be skeptical? We have to decide that. True love is not conditional upon the other person's response. God's love is unconditional. His love for us does not change based on what we do. Now, obviously, God is just... So he will punish sin. He will punish us rejecting his son. He has to. 
It's in his nature to be just and to be righteous, but his love never changes. Even when he's punishing sin, he's loving us. A loving father disciplines his children. Yeah. Unconditional love is sacrificing without ever knowing if that person will love you back. That's God's love. Let's keep reading here, verses 11 and 12. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God lives in us, and His love is made complete in us. This is really cool. What does verse 12 say? No one has ever seen God. Just plain and simple, we don't know what He looks like. And typically, if you see like a picture or a painting of God, what does He look like? Zeus. Yeah, they make Him look just like Zeus. Or Santa Claus, right? He's just this old Santa white Claus. guy with a beard. I'm like, if you put a red cloak on him, that's Santa Claus. I mean, that's how people make him out to look. I seriously doubt that's what God looks yeah. like. But we don't know. We really don't know. I don't think you could even draw it. I don't think we could even conceptualize it. I think if we saw him, we would probably die on the spot. <laughs> or we would literally go into cardiac arrest. You know, and it'd be all over. Oh my gosh, yeah. So God actually is protecting us by us not seeing him. But here's what's so cool. It says no one's ever seen God. But look at verse 12. If we love one another, God lives in us. We can see God in each other. When we love each other as God commands Think about it this way. Think about the feeling that you got as you were going on your college tours, right? And I've got your guys' two campuses right here. Uh, good time. So, hey, you. junior and senior year of high school, you're going on all the tours, right? And you're visiting all these schools, and I remember doing that. I remember being in high school and figuring out where do I want to apply, what schools do I want to look at, and going on those road trips where you're kind of jumping around all these different campuses and looking at things. and. And you get this feeling when you step on a campus, when you're in high school and you're visiting, right? It, you can almost get a sense from going on the tour and from maybe meeting some of the students, from just walking around, you just get a feeling. And you either feel like, ah, I can't really see myself here. Or you feel like, you know what? I think I would do great here. You know what, I think that, I think that this is the right spot. And hopefully, you were able to go somewhere where you had that second feeling, where you walked on campus and you just felt like, this is it. This just, it feels like home. It feels like this is where I wanna be. Now, when you're in high school, applying for all these colleges and taking your tours, you have zero idea what it's like to be a student on that campus. You don't know, and it's impossible for you to know at that point, right? You don't know what it's gonna feel like. You don't know what it's gonna be like. But as you go around and you take that tour, you get a feeling. You can get a sense of it. And it's the same way, I think, what this scripture is talking about. It's similar with a God. As we look at our relationships with each other, we can't see God, right? Just like you didn't know what it was going to be like to be a student at your school. But we can get a sense of God. We can get a feeling when we love one another. And that's actually part of the design of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God includes God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, the angels, everyone who's gone before us, but it's also here on earth. The kingdom of God is every faithful disciple alive is part of it. In the kingdom of God, us living as disciples, us being part of the body of Christ, 
it gives us a taste of what it will be like when we see God. Of what it will be like when we're in heaven. And we're seeing him face to face. This is a taste of it. You can't get that taste anywhere else. Only in God's kingdom. But that's part of the design. It gives us a sense. Let's keep reading here. You guys with me? Yeah. Verse 13 down to verse 21. We're going to start to, to wrap up. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. If anyone acknowledge that Jesus is the son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. Listen to this right here. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love. But perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not yet made perfect, is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother or sister. Verse 16, talking about love never fails, we know and rely on the love God has for us. We know and rely on God's love because it never fails. God's love never fails. It will never let us down. It will never come up short. It will never promise something and not deliver. We know it and we rely on it. It never fails. Verse 17, love is made complete among us because as disciples in this world, we are like Jesus. That's crazy, guys. We are like Jesus. For most people that you come in contact, teammates, roommates, classmates, coworkers, you are their best shot of seeing Jesus. You're it. They're not going to see it anywhere else. We are the world's best shot of having a glimpse of Jesus. What is a disciple? It's a follower. It's someone who does everything that the person they're following did. In this world, we are like Jesus. That's God's word right there telling us that. And then verse 18. This is so cool. There's no fear in love. Fear has to do with punishment. All of us at one point, as we were studying the Bible, we had fear. When we realized, oh my gosh, if this is true, then I'm in big trouble. If this is true, I better get this straight ASAP. Because I'm not in a good place right now. And we had that sense of fear. We had that sense of, wake up right here. Hold on, let me, let me get this straight. If this is the word of God, and I have not yet done what this says... That's not good. I can't go to sleep just happy and content tonight. I got to get this straight. But once you come into a relationship with God, there should be, a, be no fear. Perfect love drives out fear. If you have fear in your relationship with God, not, not the good type of fear, which is reverence and respect for God, 
but fear, right? Where you're timid, you're scared, you're anxious all the time. There's a good chance that you do not yet fully understand God's love. Mm -hmm. And that's okay for now, but that's something you want to figure out. You want to eliminate fear from your relationship with God. You want to get rid of the anxiety, rid of the worry, rid of the timidity. Perfect love drives out fear. That's something that all of us have to grow into understanding. You might not now, and that's okay, but don't settle for fear with God. Grow to a point where you understand His love to a level that drives out any fear that you might have. Then look at verses 20 and 21. The evidence of loving our brothers and sisters, what it's talking about here, the evidence for that is everything we've studied all semester. Every lesson we've had. What Name some of the qualities of love we studied all semester. Patient, doesn't boast, it's kind, it's not proud, it does not delight in evil, rejoices with the truth, perseveres, always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. It never fails. That's how you prove your love for each other. And it's, it's amazing and it's convicting what this says right here. Okay, if we don't love one another who we have seen, there's no way we could love God who we have not seen. If you can't even love someone that you can see and hug and talk to, then how in the world could you love someone that you haven't seen? We got to get this straight if we're going to claim to love God. If we claim to love him but hate a brother or sister, we're liars. We're just making it up at that point. It's a total facade. God calls it out right here. Our relationships with each other are reflective of our relationship with God. There's no doubt about that. Our love for one another is reflective of our love for God. But when we love each other as God commands, love never fails. It's never going to fail. We'll be there for each other. We'll pull each other's weight. We'll carry each other's burdens. We'll put each other on our back. We'll put the whole team on our back if we have to. Because love never fails. We're not going to quit on each other. Just like God would never quit on us. To conclude, look over at 1 Peter 4 verse 8. So we're just going back a couple pages. We're going to wrap up with this. 1 Peter 4 verse 8. Probably two pages before where you're at. 1 Peter 4 8, above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. We're preparing to end this semester and go into this summer. I mean, in the next week and a half, two weeks, we're going to be in this summer. And for about half of you guys here, it's about to be your first summer as a disciple. Your first summer back home with all the old temptations of your old life. All the people who don't yet know that you've become a disciple. And even for the ones who've heard you say that word, they don't know what it means. They don't know what your new life means. Get connected with the disciples at home right away. As soon as, like that day. I mean, actually, get connected with them now on the phone and then as soon as you're home in person. That day, that week, whatever the next thing is, midweek, Devo, Sunday, whatever the very next event is, be there. Get everyone's phone number. Talk to, learn everyone's name. Talk to everyone. Get to know them. Amen. 
you can't love each other deeply if there's no each other yeah. to love. Mm. The truth is, if we're not part of the body, if we're not connected to the body, then you actually disqualify yourself from obeying about one-third of all of the New Testament. <laughs> I mean, that's the truth. You can't claim to be obeying God if you don't have these relationships. Over and over, encourage one another daily. Teach and admonish one another. Instruct one another. Love each other. Correct, rebuke, and encourage. Help the weak. Encourage the timid. I mean, you can't even obey God if you're not connected to each other. It's impossible. There has to be in each other. Stay connected with the disciples. Stay open. Stay open about temptation. Stay open about sin. Stay open about what you're struggling with. Grow in your love for God every day. Build your relationships with the brothers and sisters here and at home every day. You're going to have struggles. You're going to have hard days as we get into the summer. But love one another deeply because that love covers over a multitude of sins. Love never fails. To God be the glory. Amen.